This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever gotten near the end of a good book or a movie that you're really invested in and you have that sinking feeling like they're really trying to set me up for a sequel right now? This is, this is where this is going. You just get that feeling deep inside like there's some sort of like late and stunning revelation that leads to more questions than there is time to find answers like where'd the body go? Right? Or, or maybe a person with sort of otherworldly knowledge suddenly strolls onto the scene and starts to plug up all the little plot holes for you as you start to connect the dots. Or, or maybe, maybe, and this is my favorite, is when a character that you totally saw die is hinted at not maybe being dead anymore and you're just waiting for their cameo to happen. Yeah, I've never had that experience either, but it sounds like a great movie, right? I would totally read that book. That's our expectations today. That's the kind of stuff that we come here for. We come here for Easter knowing that that's the way the story unfolds. That's what we're expecting this day. And that's why Mark is so wonderful. Because Mark is not what we expect. Listen again to these final words that Mark has to offer us on this celebration of Easter. He says, So they, the women gathered at the tomb, went and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Happy Easter, everybody, right? That's the story that Mark gets us. And you see, This story has actually disquieted people throughout the millennia. In fact, Mark's own contemporaries were so uncomfortable with the way that this gospel ends that they offered not one, but two additional possible endings for it that is oftentimes included in parenthetical ways in your Bible because they didn't like the way it ended. They give instead then appearances to the disciples, an opportunity for Peter to have his moment with Jesus, and then, of course, the cameo we are waiting for, the resurrected Lord to raise, to send, and then ascend. That's 
how much it disquieted Marx's contemporaries, but it even disquiets us yet today. Theologians are as yet still arguing as to why. Why would Mark choose to end the gospel in this way? Why leave us hanging in fear and amazement that is literally seizing them off? Some theologians have posited that Mark intended to finish it but got distracted. Dinner came and he got stuck in the buffet line and just never had time to finish it. Others argue that, no, 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 Mark finished it. It's just that he forgot to press save. And so it just got lost throughout history, right? That we're so concerned with the way that this ends that we're seeking answers because this can't be the way that it ends. Because you see, we love neat and tidy endings. We love a story to be wrapped up in a neat and tidy bow, but the reality is this. The reality is this. Life's disruptions make neat and tidy ends very difficult. Very difficult. And more often than not, they get in the way of them happening at all. This is certainly the case with the women here this day who are going to do the necessary and, dare I say, essential and dirty work of literally covering up death's stench. And yet, in the middle of doing it, they are disrupted by an angelic visitor who points the way to Galilee, where the ministry began, and says, start over, try again. That's, that's the disruption. And I would guess that we know a thing about disruption as well. I don't know if you know this Last, what, 14 months have been a bit of a disruption for many of us, right? I mean, the very fact that we're gathering in the way that we're gathering is a good sign that something about life has been disrupted. And these disruptions, this experience of pandemic, has itself been filled with, you guessed it, fear and amazement. Fear of getting sick, or perhaps even worse, getting someone else sick. Fear, as a pastor, of not doing enough, or knowing what to do even at all. Fear that technology is going to fail us, or worse yet, I'm going to fail technology. Fear, fear that indeed we're going to miss out on something, right? FOMO, fear of missing out. Missing out on what, I don't know, but there's plenty to miss out on, right? We have plans, we have vacations, we have life events and weddings and all the rest, and, and yet, yet the fear of missing out is very, very real. But, like I said, it's not just fear. We also come gathered in amazement. The most amazing thing to me this last year is the redefining of the word essential. What does it mean to be an essential worker? Previously, I would have said, well, medical workers and first responders are essential, and everyone else is just nice. But no, we've now expanded our definition of essential because we now see that people who, say, drive our buses or, or pack our groceries for us are just as essential as anyone else. Those that get us life's essentials themselves are essential. Amazement at how expensive Legos are as a pandemic hobby. Who would have thought that it would cost me so much? And with three boys, only one of us has the money to do it, and it ain't them. I'm the one who brings the check home, fellows. You can look at them nicely from a distance. Thank you very much. But fear and amazement. You see, and the truth is that this pandemic, this moment that we're in, isn't going to end in a neat and tidy way either. It's not just going to be the sudden moment where it's like, oh, it's over, we did it, we arrived, right? The end roll credits. That's not how these things work. That's, that's not how life really works. It's going to be slow. It's going to be methodical. 
It's going to happen over a period of time in incremental ways until all of a sudden we're there. And that comes with the promises that we see around us. Promises of vaccines becoming widely available for distribution. The promise that indeed rapid testing is becoming less and less expensive and more and more quick and more and more accurate. The promise that indeed we're heading the right way is going to also meet and butt up against the disappointment. The disappointment that Maybe the vaccine isn't quite rolling out how we wanted it to. Or perhaps it's not rolling out as well disproportionately in communities of color as it should. Or disappointment at the spring breakers who flock to Florida and don't wear masks and then bring the disease to other places. Why? Because of the fear of missing out. That very fear I spoke of earlier. And I think it's the same tension between promise and disappointment that defines the reaction of the women at the empty tomb today. They're disappointed because when they walk in there, they expect to see a body, and they don't see one. And yet, and yet, they are filled with promise because the one who is sitting in there says, go, go to Galilee, and you will see the one that you came here to see. Look, we're looking right now for nothing else to return to normal, right? We want life to be normal again, whatever normal really is. Maybe it's the life that was, or the life that we think should be, or the life we think we might remember should be at this point. It's been a while, after all. See, what we're looking for, what the women are looking for, what Christians have been looking for is normalcy. And the reality is, The very nature of resurrection isn't normal. In fact, a risen today is a completely new way of life, far beyond anything we could have previously assumed could exist, far beyond our wildest imaginations. And if we go back, if we trace our steps back to the beginning, if we trace our steps back to where it goes, we're going to always end up in the same place. We're going to always end up in this place, on this day, in this way. We're always going to end up with the final ending being a new beginning. We're always going to end up in that place where death will always lead to new life. Death will always lead to resurrection. And again, that is the good news for us. That through Christ arisen today, we have a new normal. And that new normal is one that we need to embrace because it's the one that we have been gifted this day, a gift full of promise and hope and reassurance in the midst of life's disappointments and distractions. So, alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen.